Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. This week I speak with Alicia Eve, Director of Product Marketing at Citrix on understanding your buyer and leveraging your strengths. Alicia and I also dig into launches. This episode is chock full of goodies and glad you're here to listen. Shout out to our sponsor Clue, that's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. All right, let's do this. Hello, and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan, and I'm here today with Alicia Eve, Director of Product Marketing for Citrix. In addition to her impressive product marketing career, Alicia is the co-host of a podcast called Women at Work. She'll talk about this, but her and her co-host Liz Fuller really wanted to create a space for women to have real conversations for all of the trials and triumphs as we move up in our careers. Highly recommend this podcast. I'm so glad you are with us today, Alicia. Thank you, Mary. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, let's start out with one of my favorite topics for season three, which is what is something that you are the most proud of? Great question. And it's funny because thinking about it as women, we're not great about answering these types of questions because in general, we're taught to be humble and defer our success to others. But I'm super proud of this year of starting a podcast, which probably sounds familiar to (laughs) you, but it's been such an incredible experience. And as product marketing managers, we tend to be T-shaped. We have our specialty, the things that we're really good at. And then we have a sprinkling of knowledge across the rest of marketing. And the big thing that I've learned and really trudged through through is that understanding how something works and actually doing it are not the same things. And so I'm really proud of moving through that, developing some new skill sets via the podcast and getting the opportunity to share those conversations with all different kinds of people. Well, I'm proud of you too. And it's certainly been such an amazing resource for me and for, I know, a ton of other women out there. So thank you for expanding the T. <laughs> would you now say you're a broader I or how would you shape? Yeah. Or a lengthy H? I don't know. Good. I like it. I haven't heard that before. So yes, that's great. Well, we'll talk in detail about the podcast, but I am in total agreement. You should be very proud of that and so excited for it. Let's talk about your role first. So you're the director of product marketing at Citrix. Tell us about Citrix and what you do there. Absolutely. So Citrix is actually an ancient company in the tech space. It is over 30 years old. And we actually have over 400,000 customers worldwide. And even before the remote hybrid work trend was a trend, this is what Citrix has been enabling our customers to do is to provide that flexibility and give access to the resources, information, data that all of us need to get our jobs done anywhere from any device. And so that really is what we do and what we're super passionate about doing. Now, my portfolio specifically as the director of product marketing, we focus on the, we have a collaboration set of tools and portfolio that my team focuses on. And as part of that, we are responsible for launching new features, as well as developing the overall messaging and positioning for those features and products. And we do the enablement for them as well. And I always like to get specific because Mary, as you know, and I know you've talked about this in other episodes, product marketing is not the same. Mm -hmm. Every company, 
company. So for my team and I, we tend to align more to the kind of classic product marketing in terms of, of what we spend our time on and what we manage. And it's really end to end, right? It sounds like you're touching every phase of product development through launch and beyond. Is that how you kind of think of yourselves as end to end or full stack in terms of the product marketing team? Yes, absolutely. And we're in a great position, at least at Citrix, where we have a seat at even the product development table. And so a lot of the insights that we develop, because we do persona work as well, is we get to take that back and help develop the product strategy with our product management and engineering counterparts. And so, which is just a great story for customers because Mm -hmm. it allows us to be super focused on from product development, through marketing, through sales, end to end, the entire funnel, really focused on what they value and ultimately what's going to help them do their jobs better. Absolutely. And I'm curious for your team, is each individual aligned vertically to a product so they have that end-to-end exposure and experience? Or do you have someone that's more in touch with the product marketing team or product management team rather and working on the product development and then someone that helps develop the messaging and positioning and there's a handoff? I'm curious to see how you think about organizing. Right now, we are organized end to end. I've done it the other way, but I think that at least in my experience and in the part of the industry and tech that I work in, what ends up happening through those handoffs is that there's lost knowledge. And what I think really differentiates product marketing managers is those small nuances and and pieces of information about the buyer that we all develop through our customer empathy. They're valuable at different points. And when you have segmented handoffs, sometimes those get lost because an inside that someone has isn't applicable to their specific area that they might be responsible for. And they just forget to tell somebody or so on and so forth. And so what I love about organizing my team being end to end is that they develop this great subject matter expertise in the buyer, in the process, in the product end to end. And the result at least has been a much more cohesive experience for our customers as well as marketing overall. I could totally see that. And yeah, I do see there's more of a sense of ownership. If a product marketer is end to end, you know, they've been with the product since the birth. And so they really want to see it grow up and they want to make sure that it's really successful. So I have also done it both ways, but yes, I'm leaning more towards that end to end full stack for both the variety that the product marketers can get and the level of experience that they can get in their career, as well as the actual success of the product all the way through. So That's interesting that you're doing that too. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I'd love to hear more about the Women on Work podcast. Well, I know about it, but I'd love for our listeners to hear more about it. And it obviously has some natural overlap with what we're doing on women in product marketing. Can you talk a little bit about your inspiration and how you and Liz got started with this? Yeah, totally. Obviously an area of conversation very near and dear to my heart, but yeah, it all started during the pandemic. And Liz and I, at the time we were working at the same company, we had interacted, but didn't know each other super well. But what we started, what was happening during the pandemic, we're both mothers of two boys. And during that time, and it seems like it was so long ago, but I know at least for me, I was really hungry for connection. And I was really hungry to have real conversations about a time that was filled with incredible 
incredible uncertainty and ambiguity. And what Liz and I found ourselves doing is connecting and we have a meeting set up and we end up talking for 25 minutes about what it was like trying to become a preschool teacher, in her case, be an elementary school teacher and all of the mixed emotions with not knowing what was going on and safety and things like that. But that morphed over time into conversations that were much more around vulnerability, around these kind of tips and tricks that we had amassed over our careers working in tech, working in an industry that is male dominated. And what we started to realize is that for women, there's no playbook. When you graduate from college, you start in the workforce. There's no book of how to succeed that's handed to you, to anybody, but especially for women and how to navigate all of these unique situations that we find ourselves in. And for many of us, we just stumble our way into knowledge and insight along the way. And so what we wanted to develop with women on work is to surface topics that many of us whisper about, or maybe after a couple of cocktails, when that was a thing, we might start to dive into if it was just women around that cocktail table and bring those into the light and actually allow people to feel connection with each other. And even for just a moment, think, wow, I thought I was the only one or, oh, I went through that too. I thought that I didn't handle that well. Maybe I did. And just have those moments where we build that community and allow ourselves to feel less alone and maybe save each other some grief along the way with insights and places where Liz and I maybe would like to have a mulligan with a situation or something that we chose to do. I think it's so wise and so helpful that you guys are doing this at this moment. I was actually just talking to a few mom friends about the lack of villages that we feel like we have in our real lives that we don't have necessarily the 10 people we can always lean on, or even the two people we can always lean on to help with childcare duties or just being able to vent or things like that. So this is a little bit filling that void, I think, for people with expert level interviews expert level conversations. I know that you have a few folks on here. Lindsay Boggs, I believe she's a mental health advocate. You have the woman that is the owner of Working Mom Kind, which has been such an amazing resource for me personally on Instagram. So Ingrid Reed, that's her name. So filling in the gaps for people that don't necessarily have the access or don't know who those people are at their company to talk to that are also working mothers and going through kind of the same thing. So I've really found it helpful to just have that as a little bit of a, okay, there are other people that are going through this too. (laughs) And there are ways that you can approach this that aren't necessarily just hitting your head against the wall. So I really personally find it of a lot of value and I hope you're getting a lot of really good feedback too. I'm sure you are. We totally are. And what's been really surprising is that we have quite a few male listeners right? Nice. and in their reaching out to us, what we've realized is that their experience might have a little bit different flavor, obviously, but it's still at the core, very similar to what many of us feel. It is lonely. It is lonely being a mom. It is lonely being a working parent. And to your point, there's been an erosion of these villages that I think in the past women could really lean on. And there's a lot of reasons for that. That's probably 
totally different podcast, but that I'm glad that it's been something that you personally have found to be valuable and we'll continue to dig in, have these conversations. Some of them go off the rails. There's some funny ones in there. There's a lot of vulnerability about what happens to your body after you have a baby that again, no one talks about, but it's been such a fun adventure. And we've gotten to meet amazing women. As you mentioned, we've had, I think 10 guests, including yourself. And it's just been such a wonderful adventure for us to partake in during this time. That's so great. Glad you brought up the comment about men listening. We do have men listening to women in product marketing too. Hi guys. <laughs> and I think it just has a level of empathy that they might not get otherwise. They're probably not having conversations about women's bodies after childbirth <laughs> in much detail, except for maybe with their partners. So I think that that is really great things for them to be exposed to. And just to kind of understand the level at which we're operating and how things are different. So I think that you mentioned this is in a way in a response to how there's no playbook, especially for women. And the experience for women at tech companies in particular is very different than for men. So I think that the listeners to both of our shows, I'm sure are gaining a level of empathy. They're becoming better allies and learning a lot too. I hope we always talk about business topics on the show too as well, but I think that it's really great. And it's nice to see that this is a resource that's been useful for both. And then another thing I wanted to say was that I feel like there is this kind of flattening of the intersection between between your personal and your work life that I've never really noticed before with the pandemic. So I've never really heard my male colleagues have to talk about, oh, I have to go do pickup. I have to leave for my kid's doctor appointment, or as you mentioned, become this full-time preschool or kindergarten teacher. So it's been nice to see the male colleagues that I work with talk about that too. And I feel like it's actually probably even, it's not just the mom share of what, you know, everyone is expecting of moms in the workforce to kind of leave. I've seen a lot of men do that too. And I think that the one silver lining of this maybe is that we are open about it and everyone is sharing a little bit more of their real lives and a little bit more of that authenticity too. So it's nice to see that your podcast is kind of going full circle and bringing this to light. No, I agree. It's creating permission for us all to bring a more authentic version of ourselves. And for those of us that are parents and mothers, we don't come by ourselves, right? Like we bring people with us because that's very much a part of our identity is, is being that parent, being that mother. So it is, you definitely feel it's different than what it was two years ago. And my hope is that it just becomes an accepted part of work and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to women on work, everyone out there. It's a great resource. And you're coming back in February. Is that right? Yes, we will be dropping our season two in February, 2022. So very excited. Exciting. All right. Well, great. Let's get back to product marketing. If you don't mind, <laughs> I'd love to talk about one of your superpowers, which you mentioned a little bit already, but understanding the buyer, where do you start with this? If someone is tasked with understanding the buyer, or you understand that that's a need that you have at your company. Yeah, this is such, I think, a crucial one because for me, this is a strength and an understanding that differentiates product marketing managers. And it really does all start with listening. And one area that is, I think, particularly important is conducting primary research and actually talking to the people that you want to sell things to. I think that sometimes using different analysts or different firms that do this, it's easy to collect data and it's 
it's easy to make your buyer into a perfectly curated persona. But what really are the differentiators and the reasons why someone will buy your product? It's often in the side conversations. It's in these kind of random comments that you might get by actually talking to your buyer or observing them. That's definitely another way that I put together personas in the past. And I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure that many of your listeners will, this will resonate with how many times I've seen personas get developed and there was not a single person that was actually interviewed directly. And the challenge with that is that anytime you get insight from someone, whether it be sales or a third party, it's going to come with it some bias that's naturally baked into that perspective. And there's just no way to get away from that. And so listening directly to your customer, to your buyer, taking every opportunity you can to have honest conversations, that's where that impactful connection gets developed and where you as a product marketing manager can put together that messaging that actually resonates with that buyer directly. Totally agree with that. And I think that any conversation you can have with a client, whether you're leading it or listening in has 1000% more impact to you personally and your strategy than being handed a PowerPoint with all of this information already done. So it's painful, but yeah, I've definitely been in the trenches and interviewed 30 clients and you start to see those patterns and you start to see the way that they're talking about things and you hear in their voice when they're frustrated. And I, I don't think there's anything that can replace that. So I'm so glad that that is an approach that you've taken too. When you're thinking about this and actually having your team or you personally develop these personas, how are you thinking about the impact of this to an organization? Do you do any tracking or is there anything that you're trying to accomplish usually with the deliverable, let's call it? Yeah. I mean, I think with product marketing, the more that you can associate what you do with a specific metric is crucial. And you know what? It's really hard in product marketing because we sit between groups and we're not responsible directly for the pipeline, right? We're not responsible directly for closing that sale, but yet everything that we do enables ultimately that result. And so when thinking about personas, what I look for is with the messaging, can you increase your pipeline? If your messaging is much more specific based on that persona, developed on where that individual person, that buyer gets their information, you might be looking at a pipeline increase. In theory, you know, your conversate your conversion rates should be faster because your buyer sees the value faster in in your messaging, positioning the assets that you're providing, a faster sales cycle. And hopefully all of this ladders up to more revenue you know, as an organization. But I think anytime you do persona work, working with the downstream teams on not just developing the personas, but how they'll be used and then how you're going to actually track and measure effectiveness. Those are all one conversation that should be a part of the project in totality. That's great. And just to get really specific on this, so people can maybe walk away and integrate this for themselves, would you recommend doing kind of a pre-post analysis of either pipeline conversion rate, even when loss before you introduce these personas? Absolutely. It's hard to measure an increase when you don't know where you started. (laughs) Good point. Awesome. Yeah. Start with that baseline, know where you're at and see how to impact it. In terms of packaging too, is there any recommendations or maybe even any pitfalls that you have to actually getting the word out about the personas? Sometimes I see it in a deck and there's 40 personas and the salespeople aren't really briefed on it and they're kind of just sent this document and then the PMMs are high-fiving because they did a great job, but I don't really see that that message got through. So in terms of actually delivering this in a way that's impactful, do you have any recommendations? 
So my recommendation is to treat personas like you're launching a new product or feature, but internally, I think internal activation, whether it's personas or even when you do external launches, a lot of times, especially in bigger companies, you'll launch something externally and then you'll talk to the person that, well, again, we're not all in the office, but in theory, you walk down the hallway and you run into someone like, oh, I had no idea that that happened. And so I think anytime you do a project like this, treating it like a launch, but for internal people and structuring a process on how you're going to get the word out, what that's going to look like, just like you would a launch, but again, leveraging your internal channels, if you will, and having almost a promotion strategy with how to use it. And I think when you've put the thought in and you know exactly how you're going to measure success, that you'll get more buy-in from groups as well, because they'll see that this isn't something you produce. And then the analogy that I've heard is, you know, if it goes in the desk drawer, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, this is something that this person is KPI'd on they're going to be watching and I have a benefit, but it really is about that internal promotion and having a very specific plan around it. That's such a good point. I love that. Well, speaking of launches, thinking about external launches, I know this is another sweet spot for you. What's your favorite part about launching products? Oh, there's so much fun. (laughs) And you know, when I was younger in my product marketing career, I really didn't like launches. I didn't like them because I am a very type A person, which many of us are. And I didn't like how they never turned out how I wanted them to. Something always went wrong. The product was delayed. There was always something. And now as I've gotten further along in my career and I put together a launch plan, it's almost like, oh, I know where I think I'm going to go is not where I'm going to end up. And that's okay. And what I've learned is that being agile, being able to adjust is those inevitable elements come up. It's now it's fun. I think it's so much fun because you get to, I learned something new every single launch. I learned something about myself. I learned something about a new way to think about an opportunity. In many ways, I think my launches have gotten better because things don't turn out the way that you think they're going to. And it forces creativity in a way that wouldn't have happened if you take your spreadsheet or smart sheet or whatever tool you're using and you check off the boxes and everything goes to plan. And so that as I've grown in my career, my perspective on launches has changed for that reason. That's such a good point. And I think a little known secret of product marketing and the launch world is that your launch is never going to go perfectly right. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. What are some ways that you can make sure that something not going right doesn't turn into a full-blown disaster? I mean, I think what I always try to keep in mind, and this goes hand in hand with understanding your buyer and customer empathy. What are you trying to do right away? And now I've done enough of these where when I'm talking to the product management team, the first question is, what's the result we're trying to drive, right? Where are we trying to get to? And what is that benefit for the customer? And what I found is that if you stay focused on that, the how you get there If it veers a little off course, if it doesn't look exactly the way you want it to, that's okay. As long as you're still aligned with the launch, with the end result that you're trying to drive and the benefit for the customer. And then I think if you get to a point where whatever that benefit was, whatever you're going towards is no longer applicable, that's one of those moments that as a product marketing manager, you have to raise your hand and say, Hey guys, we're not even in the same boat anymore. And I don't really know what our customer is going to get out of this. Maybe we need to rethink it. And that takes a lot of bravery Mm -hmm. and to do absolutely. But when you have with clarity, what you're trying to aim towards, when you can't get there anymore, you feel more confident in raising your hand and bringing that up and having an honest discussion because we've all been there. There is nothing worse 
than you moving through a launch and you end up where you end up and you're like, that is nowhere near what we were supposed to do. And it kind of fizzles out. And you're like, that was a lot of work for not much of a result. And looking back, at least for me, when I think back and do like a postmortem, it's like, man, I should have raised my hand a lot earlier and said, Hey, maybe we should rethink this. But I just kept going with it. Cause I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And that's been a major learning for me through all the launches that I've done in my career. Such a good point. I think that it's really valuable to have that North star approach for everything that we do for product marketing, actually, because it does take a lot of the emotion out of the things that we do. I think a lot of the work, especially if you think about messaging and positioning or naming, it can be pretty subjective. And there's a lot of emotion that comes into it. If you're talking to a founder of a company and they want a particular word or have a particular way that they want to say things, but leaning back on that North star of what are we really trying to accomplish here? I think helps put everyone into the same mindset and gives a little bit more of a framework to it. So I love that. And yeah, I think I also used to be scared to ask about deadlines and goals. And it seems so silly because those are so fundamental, but it it seemed like some of the PMs I was working with back in the day were really protective about that or didn't want to share that. And that's, you kind of need that. You absolutely need that rather to do your job well and to understand and to get in the same boat, as you mentioned. So I love that you listed it out like that. That makes a lot of sense. What about advice for your very first launch? If somebody out there is about to do their first product launch, what would you say would be the top thing they should think about? I mean, I think especially when you first go through it, organization is key. Again, understanding what your goals are, having that very specifically mapped out and really getting your hands into the minutia of what needs to happen, where the dependencies are. And I think especially as the first one, and I recommend this to the new people on my team as they do their first launches, talk to the teams that we support and understand from their perspective of past launches, what works well, what doesn't work well. Maybe they have some suggestions like, you know, in PMM, you guys usually do X, Y, and Z. Have you thought about doing it A, B, and C that actually would make it way faster for us or whatever it is? Because again, to your point about the emotionality, if the result is what everyone's trying to get to, the how is very much can be a collaborative discussion and an opportunity. And for me with launches, I actually put together a cross-functional team that meets regularly because it just gets everyone on the same page. You can always cancel them if you don't need them, but making sure that everyone knows what's going on and that all of these other teams are invested in the same result that you are and they feel a part of the process. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges we have in product marketing is that so often we rely on other people to do stuff that we don't actually have the ability to tell them to do. And so it's really about including others in that process and making sure that it's collaborative end to end and that we're all going in the same direction. All such good points. And yeah, even just going back to the basics of not reinventing the wheel, asking what's worked well in the past and what hasn't worked well. That's probably a great starting point for anyone, maybe not running their first product launch, but coming into a brand new company, a channel that might've worked well at your previous company might not be the right fit here. There might be some bureaucracies that are making it hard to make that happen. So I think that's really great. And I also love the weekly, bi-weekly, or however often you want to run it, the launch meeting to just get aligned with everything that's coming on the calendar, sharing the progress, sharing the things that have worked. I think that is a really great way to keep organized at kind of a macro level. So I'm glad that you have instituted that. And at that meeting, do you usually invite product marketing and product managers and another group of people or who's there? 
Yeah. Typically it's anyone that I'm asking to do a thing. So of course, right. other product marketing <laughs> managers, definitely the product managers, I mean, get making sure that they know what's happening with something that many of them feel so connected to. It's such a great relationship builder. And then from a marketing standpoint, whether it be your campaign team, even social media, you want to make sure that everyone knows what's going on. And, and one of the strategies that I've employed that I think works really well, I make sure that everyone in that room has seen what we're doing in terms of whether it's a new feature or product. They get a demo of it and they get to ask questions because I think that so often there's a tendency to kind of throw things over the wall. But if those other teams understand what we're doing, they also can take their areas up a notch and improve because they understand fundamentally, oh, I get this new feature. And oh, this makes sense to me, especially if you work in an industry where you're launching something that you would use Mm -hmm. uh, in your daily life, then there's buy-in there. And they're like, oh, I totally get the use case of why our customer will benefit from this. And it, again, it just layers in this level of authenticity that I absolutely think the customer picks up on when it comes to interacting with marketing, whether it be in social media or elsewhere. So those are some of the strategies that I've seen work really successfully. And then I definitely deploy personally. That's so great. Yeah. I remember being at a company a few years ago and the creative team had never been given demos of any of the products. And this was the team that was developing the website, all of the sales enablement collateral, all of that. So I made a point of making sure the PMs demoed everything we were doing so they could just feel a lot closer, like you mentioned, to the product and, and have that level of authenticity. And I think that's often overlooked. You just want to make sure everyone has a sense of ownership and pride in what they're developing. And it's not hard to do you just need to set up a 30 minute meeting basically and make sure that they're demoed. I also love the overlap of talking about multiple launches with those groups, because sometimes that can help you identify bundling opportunities too, which I think is the next level after you figured out how to product launch is figuring out those different themes and all of that. And it takes a bit of time to figure that out and a little bit of expertise, but for you, I'm sure it's helpful to have that macro view and say, oh, wow, there actually are a lot of connections between these launches. They're all kind of launching around the same time maybe we should make a bigger splash with them. So I don't know if that's something you've come across too. Absolutely. And yeah, it just depends on the timing to your point, but I love getting all of these different people in the room and they help with development and they might see connections that you don't see. And that's what I just love about product marketing is that it isn't something where we sit in a cubicle or at our desk at home now and just think of things and hand them off. It's so collaborative. It's so cross-functional. And at the end of the day, being able to leverage the people around you that maybe think a little bit differently or have a different perspective I just always see it turn the result for the better at the end of the day. That's awesome. Well, definitely going to put that one back in my toolkit. Love it. <laughs> All right. Can't believe it, but it's already time to move on to our rapid fire questions. So I'd love to start off with asking who are your strongest mentors, product marketing or otherwise? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think I've been really blessed that a lot of the managers I've had in product marketing have also served as mentors to me. And what I love about that is they're so close to what I do day in and day out. And they've helped me identify my strengths, which I think is such a key part in product marketing, knowing what you're good at mm -hmm. uh, and designing your roles around that. And so for me, as I think back, those are the people, those people every day I'm talking to asking advice from whether it's a formal mentorship or not, those are the people that have made the difference in my career. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm starting to hear that as a theme, but keeping connected with the managers from your past and making sure that people you've clicked really well with and that you've learned really well with stay in your life. And just even if it's catching up with them once a year or dropping them a line, I think that they can add a lot of value. 
what would you say has been one thing, if you could boil it down, that's been the most important in terms of growing your career? Knowing my strengths, hands down, that has been the biggest game changer to me. And once you know your strengths, you can treat them like athletes treat their strengths and their talents. And you can design how you spend your time, of course, within reason, right? We can't all design our every moment of our day at work around what we do really well, but you can start lasering in on those strengths, finding roles or opportunities that align to them. And it also gives you permission to take rest when you need it. Once you identify what those strengths are and what they require for you to bring those every day at the level that differentiates you in the workplace. So important. And so glad you mentioned that. I remember going to a workshop several years ago about strengths finders, actually. And my main takeaway was that if you spent 10 hours on your strength, where would you be from A to Z versus if you spent 10 hours on something that was one of your weaknesses, where would you be? And so it's pretty amazing to think about it in that context of, wow, if I really leaned into influence and woo, which are one of my strengths, how would I be able to be even better about that rather than if I leaned into really technical programming skills, which I have tried and is not a strength of mine. So I think that it's really important to identify that and understand enough to be dangerous in areas that you work with your colleagues or that are sort of necessary for the job, but outsourcing and delegating are totally okay. (laughs) And leaning into your superpowers, I think is really going to get you ahead. So thank you for sharing that. Anything in particular you've done to really pump up your strengths, let's say. I think for me, it's looking at where I spend my time. And then as a manager, to your point, filling, make sure when, as I hire team members or bring people onto my team, that they help bring our team up in the areas that we're not as strong. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think that when you are able to feel comfortable with the things you're not great at, but you know, they're being addressed in some way, they're not becoming a hindrance to you, right? That's the balance you have to strike. And if you can fill that as a manager with people on your team, that's great. And really then that frees other people, both you and on your team to really dive in and shine with what they're really, really good at. That's great. And I think I know the answer to this next one, but how do you network? Well, yeah, I think product marketing managers, we're such natural networkers. We have to, I think in our daily jobs, we have to get in front of customers, people do we don't know all the time. But from a networking standpoint, a lot of it is just being curious and asking questions. People love talking about themselves. I think that's a little, hopefully a better well-known secret now that pretty much, and I mean, I just go on LinkedIn, right? And say, hey, can I have like 15 minutes? I'd love to learn about your role, about your job, about your background. And most people will say yes. And I found that on the podcast too, that asking someone to come on a podcast and talking about what makes them tick and what thoughts and lessons that they've learned, most people will say yes to that. And it's pretty amazing. Totally agree. And I think the worst that can happen is they ignore you or they say no, and then you move on. So exactly. Not a lot of loss there. All right. Why product marketing? I love the fact that when I wake up every day, I have no idea what this day is going to bring. I can make my list and I do because again, type A, but I might not scratch a single thing off. I might do something else for the rest of the day. And for me, I love that. It is not for everyone. It is not everyone's jam. 
but I love that I get to spend my time in ambiguity and in places of uncertainty and untangling that, developing a strategy, developing whether it's messaging. And I get to spend a lot of time thinking about the buyer and what I can do to help them see that the product or feature that I'm representing can help their daily life be better. And it's just such a fun job that I am so grateful to be able to do every day. That's so wonderful. Yes. I think it does take a special person to be okay with not having anything done on your checklist, but it's also the most exciting part of the job, right? Exactly. (laughs) All right. Last question for you, Alicia. What's next for you? I mean, right now, as we talked about season two for women on work coming up here very quickly in February. And I think like most of us, I have no idea what 2022 is going to bring. And over the last 18 months, what I've learned about myself, what I've learned about how I spend my time is being open to opportunities, to new ways of thinking, to saying yes more. And so I know that's a very meta answer to probably something that should be more specific, but that's what I'm looking forward to this year. I love it. Well, again, everyone, please take a listen to Women on Work. It's an amazing podcast. And Alicia, thank you so much for being on the show today. I learned a lot more about you from the product marketing standpoint, and I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this too. So really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary and everybody. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, HighSpot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, we air our last episode of season three with Claire Maynard, the head of product marketing of new products and solutions at Atlassian.